Good morning. Welcome, everyone. I am Sophia. I organize Spectrum webinars for you, bringing the community together through learning at Spectrum. So for those of you who are new to Spectrum, aside from organizing online and in-person events, we offer curated workspaces for community experience and also connections to expand your business. So for today's webinar, we'll be on building a sustainable future with cell-based meats. We are very privileged to have Dr. Sandhya Sriram, co-founder and CEO of Shield Meat. Uh, she is a stem cell scientist with more than 10 years experience working with muscle, adipose, cells and stem cells. So she was also featured on Forbes Women in Tech and an author for Nature Biotechnology blog. She will share more of a personal and professional journey at Shilk Meats, a cell-based meat company, the first of its kind in Singapore and Southeast Asia, set to revolutionize the FMB industry. So without further ado, over to you, Dr. Sandhya, please. Hi, thanks, Sophia. Uh, do you want to wait a couple of minutes for getting everybody on board or we can start? Let's start. Okay, great. Thank you. Just gonna share my screen so that everybody can see the presentation. There you go. Okay, uh, Sophia, everything good? All good. Okay, perfect, yeah. So good morning everybody who's present here. Uh, thanks for coming on the webinar. Uh, so today basically I'll be talking about, uh, of course my company, Shiok Meats and what we do and what cell-based meats are. But at the same time, I guess I'll talk about my journey from where I started and how I ended up starting a cell-based uh, food company at the end of the day. So the whole talk will talk about, of course, the need for sustainable food and why we're looking at food technology and deep tech and food tech. And then, for, uh, for example, my career has been working with stem cells for healthcare, and then I kind of transitioned into stem cells for food. So I'll talk about all of this. Um, so just to kind of set a stage for as to why we need to start thinking more about food and I can see very familiar names here on the webinar uh, who are attending and I think most of us already recognize that um, food is an issue and we should start thinking about it, reading more about it and talking more about it and of course finding solutions for it at the end of the day. So we are going to be a population of about 10 billion in the next 30 years, uh, which is not very far away. And, uh, but at the same time, the problem is that food and the supply and the access to good food, which is healthy, clean, cruelty-free, ethical, all of the above, is pretty hard. Um, you know, just talking about the last couple of months, you know, all of us are aware of the COVID situation and the issues with the food supply, uh, especially in a country like Singapore, where we actually import 90% of our food. So just thinking about that with the borders shutting down and uh, you know, there's been a whole outbreak of swine flu, bird flu, uh, viruses in the shrimp industry that has all happened at the same time along with COVID, unfortunately. So the prices of meat have been going up and down. Um, in the US, the consumption of alternative proteins or plant-based proteins like Impossible and Beyond and other plants brands have gone up substantially because people are worried. And at the same time, uh, even though it's not been proven yet, I think it's instilled in our minds that COVID actually originated from this meat uh, wet market in China. 
So people are thinking a lot about it, thinking about where their food comes from, whether they want to reduce the consumption of meat and seafood, or whether they can get it from cleaner sources. So, you know, putting all of these together, you can kind of understand that food is an issue and we have to start thinking about it especially given that we are not even able to feed the current 7 billion population and we're thinking of a 10 billion population in the next three, 30 years. So where are we going to get the sources of food and kind of fulfill the nutritional needs for the entire population is kind of the bigger picture and the bigger question here. So just to give you a short overview, like some numbers that we would have probably never come across before, is the amount of meat, fish, and seafood consumption that different countries in Asia um, consume at this point. And this data, uh, just to let you know, was uh, around 2014, so it's still about six years older, but current numbers are actually higher at this point. So just looking at certain numbers, if you just look at Hong Kong, each person per year in Hong Kong consumes about 144 kilograms of meat and seafood just let that number sink in. And Hong Kong has a population of a couple of million, so you can do the math and see how much of meat and seafood we are consuming. Looking at a country like Singapore, we consume about 85 kilograms per person per year. So even if, let's say 50% of the population eats meat out of the 5.5 million that we are, let's just take it as 3 million, just do 85 into 3 million and you can see the amount of meat and seafood that we are consuming. It's just alarming numbers. And these numbers are going up by the day, but at the same time, access to good seafood and meat is currently a big problem. So um, what we do at Shiok Meats, uh, I will explain a lot more about the technology, but just to give, set the stage for it, uh, Shiok Meats is a cell-based seafood company. So what we do is instead of you know, growing an entire shrimp and then killing it and then eating it at the end of the day, we, what we do is just take stem cells from the animal. We don't have to kill the animal. We don't have to keep on going back to the animal. We don't have to breed the animal as such. We only grow part of the animal that we eat. So for example, we only grow the meat inside. We take out, we don't grow the shell. We don't grow the head and the legs and so on. So we take stem cells and then we convert them into meat. So that is just the initial, I will explain more. But uh, a couple of reasons as to why shrimp and crustaceans is a great source of protein is that actually they are low calorie, highly rich in protein and very nutritious. Um, everybody loves crustaceans in this part of the world and also in the West. It's a $40 billion market just for shrimp alone and then larger markets for crabs and lobster, which are also crustaceans. Um, Asia is actually the largest producer of shrimps. Um, the different countries that kind of take over uh, the major producers are Indonesia, India, and Thailand. Uh, the US alone imports about more than 100 million pounds of shrimp per year. And Asia Pacific, like I said, is the leader of the shrimp market. But at the same time, even though we are the leaders, the shrimp market is tainted with a lot of issues, especially in the last couple of years, a lot of light has been thrown upon it. Um, so this story by Bloomberg that was broken about five, six years ago, talks about how shrimp fraud is common. 30% uh, of the shrimp products that are tested nationwide, you know, on the food safety security side of things are actually misrepresented. Like for example, the shrimp that you're eating or the meat that you're eating, especially in 
uh, pre-made products like dumplings and spring rolls are probably not shrimp at all. It's just some random fish that has been caught in an ocean or a lake. Um, this is my first-hand experience. I've actually visited some shrimp farms in this region. And I've seen shrimps grown in sewage water, in dirt water, in water that's not meant to be consumed. Um, and then because they are grown in that, they're then taken and cleaned with antibiotics. for human consumption to the supermarkets and the food industry. So this is appalling for me. Um, I've been a vegetarian uh, for ethical reasons all my life. And um, I just cannot get over the fact that we have to eat shrimp that's grown in sewage water and cleaned with antibiotics. That is some of the least problems, a uh, lot more problems. You might think, oh, shrimp from shrimp farms is dirty, but the shrimps from the oceans are great. Uh, it's much cleaner. But there's a lot of issues with shrimp from the oceans as well. Uh, there's microplastics, heavy metal accumulation that you might have read of. Um, each kilogram of shrimp that's caught in the net actually has a 20 kilogram bycatch, which is other fish and plants that get caught in the net as well. And they're eventually killed and thrown away because the shrimp farmers don't need that. We are definitely overfishing. Uh, it's completely unsustainable. There are factual studies that have been published saying that in the next five to seven years, we are not going to have any more seafood left in the oceans, literally. That's how much overfishing we are doing at this point. Um, also, the Western world needs peeled and cleaned shrimps for the frozen market. So the, the conditions or the workshops in China or different parts of Asia where this has been done is actually quite pathetic. Um, these laborers are working in horrible conditions. They get paid really badly for it. So these are some of the you know, consistent issues in the shrimp industry. Uh, one thing that's happened latest, actually just in the last couple of months, is about 400 to 500 farms in uh, China have been wiped out by a viral disease that affects shrimps. So just thinking of all of this, um, it was a worrisome issue uh, and we wanted to bring it to light. Uh, we're not saying all shrimp farms are dirty and all shrimp farmers do it this way. There are some clean shrimp farms, but they're such a small percentage of the shrimps that we consume that we'd like to throw more light upon it and talk about how we can further better this industry. So like I mentioned, it's a $40 billion uh, industry globally, but just looking at APAC, which is our target market, it's a $25 billion industry. Um, it's a huge market. Uh, shrimps are eaten in every form, shape, and size in this part of the world. It's eaten as a shrimp paste, mint shrimps and dumplings and shrimp uh, spring rolls. It's eaten as a whole shrimp. It's eaten in various forms, shapes, and sizes. So it's a huge industry that we are looking to disrupt. So now I'm going to basically introduce you to alternative proteins, which is kind of proteins from different sources. Right now, we know proteins are available from plants like, you know, lentils and pulses which the vegetarians and vegans eat, of course, and of course, omnivores as well. But at the same time, recently, there has been this huge, uh, you know, kind of um, craze over insect-based proteins as well as cell-based proteins. But even among the plant-based proteins, I think in Asia, we've been eating mock meat for ages and ages. But what's recently happened is the bigger brands like Impossible, Sunfed, Good Catch, Good Dot, and beyond, these are names that you might have heard of, or even Eaton, um, have actually concentrated a lot on the flavor, the texture, 
and made the entire plant-based industry very sexy. So people are actually opting to go for plant-based meats or seafood rather than the conventional ones because these are definitely cleaner. Um, nutrition is still debatable because you are trying to make plants into meat. So the proteins in the amino acid profile will definitely not be the same. Uh, Insect-based proteins, again, within Asia, we have been consuming insects for centuries, uh, especially in Vietnam, Thailand, China, and so on. But currently what's happening is because insects are a bit uh, icky in that sense. You know, for example, I wouldn't take a whole insect and put it into my mouth. But if the insect is converted into a powder, for example, because insects are grown with very less resources, they don't need as much feed and water, um, they can grow in huge numbers. They are converted into flour and powders to be used in breads and cookies and so on. So coming to the cell-based industry, which is actually where Shiok Meats is, uh, we at the end, the end product that we make is actual meat, chemically, physically, nutritionally, biologically. It is still meat. It is not fake, artificial, or synthetic. Um, it's grown from the cells of the animal, but that means that we don't have to kill the animals. We grow it from stem cells, which have this excellent capability of growing for generations. So you don't have to go back to the animal. Like I mentioned, since we use cells to make the tissues or the meat, which is essentially what happens in an animal's body to grow the organ or the muscle or the fat, which is what we consume as meat. At the end of the day, at the end of the process, what we get is actual meat, but it doesn't have any antibiotics. It doesn't come from a dead animal. It uses very less resources. And at the same time, it's ethical because you don't kill animals. It's completely cruelty-free. So just to run through like the history of cell-based meat. So the entire industry is about five to six years old. Uh, so the first ever hamburger that was made from stem cells was made in the Netherlands by Dr. Mark Post. Uh, right now he runs a company called Mosa Meats uh, in the Netherlands as well. And he showcased this at London at one of the press conferences and people were amazed by the idea that a hamburger or meat can be made from stem cells. At that point, that one hamburger costed him $300,000 to make it because it was such a new technology. But currently, he's able to make it at 100 times or even 1,000 times lower that cost. That's how you know, the advance in the industry has happened. So just to give an overview, we have uh, you know, cell-based startups all over the world. Uh, but predominantly, mostly in the US, Israel, and Europe. Um, and we have startups that are working on beef, pork, poultry. We only have about five startups working on seafood, which should be more at this point because within APAC, where 65% of the population, world's population lives, we actually consume more seafood. So among the companies that are working on seafood, the four, three of them are located in the US. One is in Hong Kong. And Shiok is the only one located in Singapore and Southeast Asia. And also we are the only company working on crustaceans while the other companies work on uh, finned fish like salmon, tuna, yellowtail, and so on. So just some numbers to kind of understand why we're looking at cell-based meats. It's not a fancy technology that we're using. We're trying to disrupt the multi-trillion dollar industry that is currently present, which has cruelty and is unsustainable and is honestly very dirty with the use of you know, drugs and antibiotics and so on. So just a, a comparison of numbers to kind of you know, make you understand where we are with terms of the technology and what kind of reduction we're looking at. 
So just comparing the water use between you know, animal-based and cell-based meats, you can see the drastic uh, decrease in the amount of water that we would use. It's about you know, um, four times, uh, just to do simple math. But at the same time, if you look at greenhouse gas emissions, again, there's a four times reduction. And four times might sound very less, but if you look at the amount of production and the emissions that are there, you can see how that four times is quite substantial. Uh, land use is drastically decreased as well. But the only challenge currently is that our products are pretty expensive and I'll explain as to why they're ex expensive, but it is a novel technology. So it is expensive to start off with, but we intend to go actually lower than the current animal-based protein price uh, in the next five to 10 years. So big names like Tyson Foods, which is actually the largest clean, uh, largest meat company, conventional meat company in the US, has actually invested in cell-based meat companies. So you can see where the industry is heading towards as well. Cargill and other uh, big companies also in, uh, invested. Uh, big names like, you know, big people like Bill Gates and Richard Branson have also bet on this uh, technology and they've invested, they're supporting it, and they feel that is the future um, of the meat industry, meat and seafood industry. So coming to our company, which is Shiok Meats, um, our mission is to make delicious and healthy shrimp and other crustacean meat, including crab and lobster, using it from cells instead of animals. And how we do it is using this, I will use the simple analogy for making everybody understand what it is. So you can imagine a greenhouse where you actually grow plants and vegetables and fruits in a controlled setting, which is not affected by climate change or weather issues or drought or floods and so on. So in a greenhouse, what you do is take a small cutting of a plant, uh, you know, a leaf or, you know, part of the plant, and you put it in a very nutrient-rich environment with controlled temperature, humidity, light. Um, you feed the soil with ingredients that are required for the plant. It's all natural, uh, but it's not affected by the outside forces. That's what it is. And at the end of a couple of weeks or months, you actually get biologically, chemically, physically, the same fruits and vegetables and plants that you would get from agricultural land or from a farmland. So similar to that with cell-based meats, what we do is we take a small sample of the stem cells from the animal. In our case, it's shrimp. Uh, we take it from live shrimp, shrimps that are from the clean farm. So we know that the source is great. And then we put it in a nutrient-rich environment again, very similar to what you would do in a greenhouse. So imagine a greenhouse for cells. We feed the cells with food grade, uh, plant-based ingredients that are clean, and then uh, maintain temperature, pressure, we use stirring. So how our manufacturing plant will look like is basically huge stainless steel vats and vessels, like what you would see in a dairy industry or in a brewery, for example. But instead of making beer, it's making meat inside. So that's exactly what it is. And at the end of the couple of weeks or months, you actually get the same meat that you would get from an animal, but it's just that you don't have to kill animals. We don't grow the shells. We only grow the muscle and the fat inside, uh, which is actually the meat. And the taste is within the cells, so you don't have to do any manipulations. The nutrition is inside the cells. So again, you don't have to do any manipulations to that. So Shiok was actually founded by myself and Kai, and we both are stem cell scientists uh, by training. We have over 20 years of combined experience working on stem cells and cell biology. Um, I did my PhD at NTU and she did her PhD at University of Wisconsin-Madison. And we both used to work together at ASTAR and that's how we met. 
So in 2018, um, I kind of, at that point, it sounded crazy, but we, I came up with a crazy idea of kind of growing shrimp, crab, and lobster meat using stem cells. I'll speak a little bit about how I got obsessed with this industry and technology. Uh, but 2018, decided to quit my job and start this. And I was trying to find a good co-founder to kind of join me along the journey and do the actual research side of things. Um, and Kai was very excited. So she joined me and it's been a good less than two years currently. And we're actually grown to a team of 12 people currently. And all of us are working very hard to get the product to market as soon as possible. So a little bit about my journey and my history is um, I've always been a scientist um, from the time I knew. So after I finished my schooling um, in India, I ended up doing a bachelor's and master's in microbiology and biotech um, in India. And then actually moved to Singapore about 12 years back to start my PhD in stem cell biology at NTU. I uh, completed my PhD in 2013 and went on to do postdoctoral research and worked as a research scientist in NTU, NUS, and then ASTAR as well. Um, but at the same time, when I was kind of working on full-time research, I realized that uh, my passion was more on kind of learning how to take science out of the laboratory and actually converting it into a product that is useful for human beings or animals or for environment. So my research was basically on trying to work on cancer, diabetes, obesity. I was working with stem cells on all these three fields. And I felt that a lot of the research that's being done in the lab never comes out. Uh, we publish it, publish it as papers, but it literally never turns into a product. It's 0.1% of the entire research that actually you know, converts into a drug or a vaccine or a product. Like you can imagine with COVID right now, everybody's waiting for a vaccine or a treatment, but it is going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. It needs a couple of years and hopefully within the next one year, we, we should have a vaccine. So that is like accelerated research because the whole world is kind of suffering because of this disease. Uh, but a lot of the research that a lot of researchers like us do never see the light of day. So uh, around 2014, I actually kind of part-time started uh, my first startup, which was called Biotech in Asia. And it was a science news website uh, that talked about scientific research, but in simple English. So I kind of found my passion in communication, scientific communication either writing or speaking about it, converting, you know, scientific, tough scientific jargon terms into simple English for everybody to understand. So that's how, you know, the analogy between greenhouse and kind of stem cell based meat came up so that everybody can understand what it is rather than being lost in the scientific terms that we use. Um, and then soon after I quit being a scientist, it was the biggest risk I took of my life, but I decided that, you know, bench work or research work is not my cup of tea anymore. What I do like is looking at the business side of science. So I actually took up a new role as a business manager and a program manager at ASTAR. And I started seeing how we can take science out of the lab and actually make it a product. Like, how do I sell a good scientific product to the hospital or to the clinic or to the industry so that it actually gets to the hand of human beings or, you know, and so on. So did that and at the same time started my second company, which was called Cyglo. Uh, and it's a company that actually does events and online workshops and so on for science students for career development. Uh, because a lot of us at that point, you know, when we finish our undergrad or master's or PhD, we're a bit lost as to where we can find jobs, how can we better ourselves, 
how can we make our CVs and resumes more attractive to be hired, uh, which is a constant problem for any new graduate. Um, so that's what my second company does. And around the same time is when I first came across cell-based meats. Like I mentioned, Dr. Mark Post made the first hamburger and I was very excited. So I actually reached out to him, reached out to the other companies like Memphis and Finless at that point, interviewed them for my uh, news website and ended up reading a lot more obsessively about the technology. And like I've mentioned, I've always worked with stem cells all my life. So I'm very intrigued by this um, you know, source of uh, cells that can kind of convert into any organ. Um, it is kind of like magic for me. Uh, it is a miracle that our human body has or animal's body have. And so I started thinking a lot more about it. And 2018 was the time that I said, okay, this is the time that I have to start something. Uh, I knew that would be my future, that I would start a biotech company. Uh, but at that point, I didn't know it would be a biotech company to do with food tech. Uh, but at the end of the day, all of us love to eat and I love food for sure. So kind of decided that, okay, let's uh, take this step and let's try it for a year. Let's see what happens. Um, if I don't succeed, then I can always go back to, you know, getting a job. So kind of took the risk uh, in 2018 started Shiokmeet. So that's kind of my journey as to how I, you know, shifted from being a scientist working in healthcare to, you know, working and starting a company that has to do with stem cells and food. So again, coming back to our technology, it's very similar to what I explained before, but we were able to actually file for patent. It's pending right now, but we basically take stem cells from live shrimp. We put them, so we put them in this controlled uh, stainless steel uh, reactor that I mentioned. It's a fancy name. We call it bioreactor, but it's kind of similar to your pressure cooker of sorts. Um, and then in the next couple of weeks, we actually get a product which is actual shrimp. Uh, like I mentioned to the DNA level, it is shrimp and it has the same taste, flavor and so on. So just a couple of pointers. Again, uh, our shiok shrimp is definitely health friendly because we don't use antibiotics or harmful hormones or chemicals. Uh, we grow it six times faster in the sense that we don't grow the shell at the head, the eyes. So we only grow the meat inside. So we, since we don't have to grow the entire animal, the process is actually shortened. Um, animal friendly, like I mentioned, because we don't kill animals and it's sustainable. And environment friendly, because we actually use lesser water, lesser energy, lesser space, uh, lesser land use. We don't have to clear out mangroves for setting up shrimp farms, which is actually leading to a lot of biodiversity loss and climate issues. So it is environment friendly and we have a patent pending technology that we want to license out in the future as well. So this, so whatever I've been speaking about is just not in the air. It's not an idea. We actually managed to do it. So our first uh, shrimp dumplings were launched in March last year. So we actually made a typical pork and shrimp siumai and the pork was actually a mushroom based vegan meat uh, from corn. And then the shrimp was actually our shrimp. So as you can see, these are the stumais and we had some of our advisors and uh, investors taste it in front of the press and audience at a food conference at Grand Hyatt. And it was a huge success. I think uh, people were very happy with the flavor and the smell and the taste as well at the end of the day. So with regards to timelines, we are looking at launching our products in 2022. So we are not very far away. Um, so currently we are uh, you know, trying to scale up the technology, reduce the pricing. So I did mention a little earlier as to why the technology is expensive. Um, just to kind of go back to this process, 
Um, you can see there's a liquid inside of this bioreactor. And uh, this liquid is actually a nutrient solution, which is amino acids, carbohydrates, proteins, very similar to what the animal would eat. But it's in a form that the cells can absorb directly because cells don't have a digestive system. So they need to get nutrients that they can absorb directly. Very similar to what would happen in the bloodstream of the animal. So currently, all of these ingredients are only being produced by pharmaceutical companies. As you can imagine, it's been done for healthcare. So it's actually not, it's very expensive. Um, it's not available in the quantities that we want. And so what we are trying to do right now is to use all plant-based extracts to grow our cells. Um, it's a matter of time for us to succeed in making that happen because the cells just need a bit of time to get used to the different ingredients. So in the next um, 10 to 12 months, we'll actually be reducing our pricing uh, to somewhat of a premium price to start off with. But eventually in the next five to seven years, we see the price going substantially down so that everybody can afford it. Um, and also it's economies of scale for us. So the pricing will come down. So right now we're looking at scaling up the technology and reducing the pricing and we'll submit for regulatory approval as well because these are novel products. So we intend to be in uh, restaurants in Singapore by 2022. And then in the next three to five years, we see ourselves also distributing to supermarkets and online. So that's more B2C. So uh, just a quick run through other than, you know, raising funding, which I'll talk about. Uh, this is a, you know, kind of capital intensive company. It's a deep tech company, as you can imagine. Uh, we have been blessed to be uh, kind of covered in a lot of the press and the media. Uh, but at the same time, we won a couple of grants and awards as well, which is extremely good because that supports our vision and our uh, timeline to go to market. And we did raise our seed funding last year, $5 million. And currently we are raising our Series A to actually set up our first manufacturing plant. But we've been blessed to kind of have the support of uh, very good investors that have invested extensively in this field. Uh, they are aligned with our mission and vision. We also have the biggest support of a big food, and food company in Asia Pacific, Mondenison. We also were part of the largest accelerator Y Combinator in the US as well. So that's kind of, I'm gonna end my presentation there. And I just wanna say that um, our mission is to get the world to eat clean and all of you to eat clean. But at the end of the day, we can't convert all of you and all of us to vegetarians and vegans. So the idea is that you can still enjoy your meat and seafood, but without feeling guilty about it, without worrying about the quality of it, without worrying about where it's come from, how it's made. And um, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm very excited because I can eat meat and seafood. That's completely ethical. And then I won't have any guilt of, you know, oh my God, animals have been killed for the, these meats. So I'm going to stop there. Uh, my contact information is there if you want to get in touch with me. So thanks, and I'll stop sharing the presentation. Thank you. Great. Fantastic sharing, Dr. Sandhya. Um, so thank you uh, for the great presentation. So um, for those of you who have more questions, please feel free to um, post them onto the Q&A uh, window here. So Dr. Sandhya, I have an anonymous person who's asking, hi, may I know if there are certain criteria in choosing the shrimps to obtain the stem cells? Definitely, yes. I can't talk too much about it because it's part of our patent. Uh, but yes, we have to be mindful about, first of all, where the shrimps are grown, like which farm or which part of the ocean and so on, because that 
ties into what we feed the cells. For example, if you are using shrimps from the ocean, um, when we grow the cells, we also have to add salt solution to it because they're used to that salinity of the ocean. But if you look at shrimps that are grown in fresh water, then you don't have to add as much salt concentration. So yes, we, are, we have to be very aware of where it's from. At the same time, the age matters a lot. Um, the size of the shrimp matters. Which part of the shrimp we take out the stem cells from matters. But all of this is part of our patent, so I can't give you very specific answers. Yeah. Right. So um, I have this question saying that may I know if this presentation will be available for later viewing? Yes, the answer is yes. And the presentation itself. So the webinar is recorded, so we'll send the details to you later. So next question from Nicholas. So what does the meat look like when it comes out of the bioreactor? Um, yeah. Does it need any further processing before it can be eaten? Right, so currently our meats are minced, um, so they can be used in dumplings, shrimp balls, noodles, spring rolls, and so on. But we are working on uh, a, a, a technology that can actually give you the, you know, the C shape, the texture that you want when you bite into it, the springiness that you want. Um, it does not require further processing. All of it will happen inside of the same chamber that I was talking about, the bioreactor. So either the end product will be minced or it will be actually textured, shaped shrimp. Yeah. Great. Oh, we've got very good um, questions here. So next from Sophia, she says that uh, missed this bit, but can you elaborate on how often, how many cells should be taken from the real shrimps to convert into shrimp meats? Is it a one-time process to set up a production or does production require retaking of the original shrimp cells? And then last part, can you use shrimp meat cells to grow more shrimp meat? Yes, so the good thing about stem cells, so uh, I know there's a couple of questions there, but I can answer all of it together. Um, so the thing is stem cells, like I mentioned, have this capability of growing for multiple generations. Um, again, depends on the stem cells, depends on the animal, depends on the age of the animal that you take it from. But for example, in our case, at this point, because we are still banking our stem cells, so we are looking at storing thousands of tubes of trillions of stem cells so that we don't have to go back to the animal uh, too much in the future. So the idea is that once you take out stem cells, so generally, I can't give you exact numbers again because it's part of our patent, but just to give you some you know, overview of it, we are looking at, let's say, one million cells from one shrimp. It's not the exact conversion, but I'm just telling you, if it's one million cells from one shrimp, the one million cells can be grown into one billion cells in a couple of weeks. So that's how it works. And the one billion cells are then used to convert into meat. But the same stem cells that we use, you can store a little bit of that one billion stem cells for you to convert them into meat later in the future. So a part of that 1 billion can become 1 billion again. So it's kind of like reproducing of uh, stem cells. They divide and they form two and then two forms four, four forms eight. So that's kind of how it works. Um, do we foresee us going back to the animal? At this point, I would say yes. Um, unfortunately, we might have to go back to the animal because at this point, we don't know how many times these shrimp cells can generate um, and how, how long it takes for them to like not proliferate or grow anymore. So we might have to go back, but looking at the numbers that we kill in terms of eating shrimp feed right now, the amount of shrimps we use to kind of isolate stem cells is nothing compared to it. It's like 
a 0.0001 percentage of what is being used to uh, be killed to use as meats. So I think that kind of confirmed, yeah, covers all the questions, yeah. Fantastic. Okay, we've got a question from Jacob. He said that, uh, when was your patent application submitted and in which jurisdiction? Yeah, so this is confidential. I can't talk about this in the open forum right now, but yeah, later on, if you're an investor or a collaborator that's looking to work with us, just reach out to us, yeah. Okay, and uh, the next question for Mark, how will you sustainably manage logistics of getting these delicious yeah. food items from manufacturing lab to restaurant? Yeah, very good question. So we have been asked this always, like, are you intending to keeping your manufacturing plant in Singapore or in Asia and then, you know, flying all flying or shipping those meats from here to all over the world to the US, for example, doesn't make any sense because that is actually adding to cost, adding to carbon footprint and is truly not sustainable. So our business plan is to actually start multiple manufacturing plants within Asia, which is our initial target market. So the idea is that it's not shipped over or flown over for more than a couple of hours. So that actually reduces the carbon footprint. But on the same side, if we want to sell the product in US or Europe, the idea is to actually license the technology rather than us producing it in Asia and then flying it all over to the other side. So that's how we are uh, thinking of you know, managing logistics and also keeping the carbon footprint low. Great. Okay, so next question. Do you foresee a lot of regulatory challenges and animal farming industry pushback when it comes time to market your product? Yeah, again, a very good question. In terms of regulatory challenges, um, to tell you the truth, a lot of the food regulatory bodies in different parts of the world are you know, pretty excited, or rather they are trying to educate themselves at this point to see how they can regulate this. Uh, they are aware that it is an industry that's going to definitely be there. It's not just a fad or a fancy thing. It is a need of the hour. And they realize that they have to educate themselves to be on par with where the technology is. So Singapore, in fact, is the first ever country to come up with a regulatory framework for cell-based meats. Uh, it's available on the Singapore Food Agency's website. And you can all go and have a look. A simple Google search will kind of bring it up. Um, in the US, it's FDA and USDA that's working on the framework. But right now, Singapore is the only country that has actually come up with a regulatory framework. Um, so the other Asian countries will follow suit. That will happen. Uh, in terms of challenges, I think it's just a matter of time rather than will a country ever allow it. Like I mentioned, they have realized that it is an industry that's here to stay. On the other side, animal farming uh, pushback is pretty interesting because Yes, it's happened a lot in the US. So when the first company, Memphis Meats, started making cell-based meats, a lot of the beef farmers actually came and said, oh, you're going to put us out of business. This is not fair. What you're doing is not right. It's, you know, you're trying to play God and all of it. Um, but in Asia, what's happened is uh, all of the, so we have been approached by a lot of the shrimp and lobster and crab farmers or, you know, people who sell these meats to actually know more about the technology and understand if they can use this technology to make crustacean meat and if they can sell it uh, using our technology, which is exactly what we want to do. We don't want to put anyone out of business. The idea is that we could make this technology accessible to everyone, not in the immediate future. I'm talking about in the next eight to 10 years so that all the shrimps that we eat are actually produced this way more sustainably rather than setting up shrimp farms and fishing in the ocean. 
So this is what we have seen. Asia is definitely more open, more supportive than the West in that sense. Fantastic. Okay, next question. What is the timeline to reach commercially competitive costs? And what are the plans to scale up manufacturing process to hit this timeline? It's going to take us a minimum of five to seven years to get to the pricing that currently the shrimp market is seeing, conventional shrimp market. Plans to scale up again, I'd already mentioned, we, our plan is to set up multiple manufacturing plants in different parts of Asia. Yeah. Um, next question ask, how long does it take to grow one piece of shrimp and how is the shape of the shrimp determined? This could be uh, missed during yeah. the presentation. The shape well. is done, uh, but I guess uh, in terms of timelines, it's about four to six weeks from sell to meat. Okay, and then are there significant differences to grow cell-based shrimp meat compared to other types of seafood? The basal technology is the same where you isolate the stem cells and then you grow them. But for example, the technicalities of it do differ, like which animal do you choose, which part of the animal, which age, all of that differs. Um, how do you grow the stem cells is also different between crustaceans and shrimp versus fish, for example. Also, what do you feed the cells? Like I mentioned, we do feed ingredients and nutrients all that differs yeah okay so we do have different views uh viewpoints from some of our participants as well so wouldn't the shrimp die during the extraction of stem cell and how is that ethical yeah so unfortunately since these are seafood uh, we can't really keep them alive outside water so when we take them out of water unfortunately they do die but like i mentioned the amount of shrimp that we use i'm talking about numbers of shrimp that you can count in your fingers literally uh, is nothing compared to the millions and trillions of shrimp that die on a daily basis for human consumption. So that's how we say it's ethical. But initially, yes, unfortunately, the animal dies when we extract the stem cells. But that's not the case with beef, pork and chicken, because these animals are land based and you can just take a simple biopsy. But with an animal like shrimp, which is extremely small, how can I take a biopsy of it underwater? Like that's literally kind of impossible. So yes, um, ethical in the sense that we don't kill the millions, trillions in the future. But uh, for now, like I mentioned, we, kill sh we don't kill shrimps, it ends up dying uh, at the end of the process, but it's a couple of shrimps that you can count on your fingers, yeah. So next question, Faye asked, uh, comparing to meat found pound for pound, is the nutritional value equivalent? Theoretically, yes, because you grow it from the actual cells. Uh, right now, at least for shrimp, we haven't done the nutritional uh, testing yet. We are in the midst of doing it. But for example, for cell-based meats that's been got from uh, beef cells or pork cells, they have done the comparison and found that actually the protein and the nutritional content is better in cell-based meats because we don't use the antibiotics or the chemicals or the hormones. So it's actually much cleaner and more nutritious, but definitely, uh, very, very similar to the conventional meat. Yeah. And uh, are you able to answer this question from Jacob? Says uh, indicative amount you're looking to raise for Series A. That's again confidential, so please reach out to me. I think Jacob has a lot of confidential. <laughs> reach out to me. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what differentiates Shop Meats from the other startups that are also working on cell based seafood? I think the major differentiation is that we work on crustaceans and we are the first ones to patent the technology as well. So the other cell-based seafood startups are working on sea, uh, tuna, salmon. Uh, the, the startup in Hong Kong is working on fish maw and sea cucumber, uh, very Asian, very Chinese, very Cantonese kind of targeted market. But the rest of the three companies that are doing cell-based are doing fish. 
Right. So, um, Dr. Sandhya, what do you think are the market drivers for your product adoption? What are the incentive factors for B2B, B2C besides sustainability? It's sustainability, ethical, clean, healthy. Uh, I think that's what sells in Asia. Here, people are more bothered about the nutritional health factor of food rather than um, ethical, sustainable, as much as compared to the West, for example. There, you know, veganism is such a big trend due to the ethical and sustainability reasons. But in Asia, even coming from India, China, people stop eating meat or seafood um, if the doctor tells them it's going to affect your health, for example. Um, so we bother a lot about health and anti-aging, for example, and living longer. That is a big thing here. And at the end of the day, it all ties up to food. Um, so given that, the adoption is more for all of those reasons, along with sustainability and ethical. Uh, market drivers, again, like I mentioned, uh, but there's been a huge interest in alternative proteins in Asia. Uh, as you can imagine, the population is higher here, and we have more developing countries in this part of the world. So people are actually looking for better options for nutritional food availability. Okay, and uh, face next question. Will the whole shop meat be able to process at home into chop, mince, or paste without losing its texture? Yes. So we intend when, when it goes B to C, when people can actually buy it, the idea is that it would, it would actually be shrimp like you're used to. So if you fry it, if you steam it, if you chop it up, whatever it is, it would be exactly similar to the conventional shrimp that you're used to cooking. So that's exactly what it is. Look, so like I mentioned, this is not artificial, fake, or synthetic. It's actual shrimp meat. It's chemically, physically, biologically the same. So it would behave the same as conventional meat when you cook it or when you cut it open. Okay. Um, the next question, what does short meats forecast to be the size of the target market that can be reached given the novel nature of cell-based meat? I mean, I'm not sugarcoating anything. We are a novel business. It's a small business. We are a startup. So we intend to launch in 2022, probably in a handful of restaurants in Singapore, which is probably just scraping the target market. But the idea is that we start introducing the product very similar to what you've seen with Impossible and Beyond. They started off with a very small market. And right now they're all over the world in the last 10, you know, it's taken them 10 years to reach the kind of scale that they are currently. And they've just gone B2C. They used to always be B2B. They've just got regulatory approval for B2C. So it is going to take a couple of years. Um, that's why we call this the future of food rather than the present food. So it's more for the future generations. And we always see that the younger generation, you know, Gen Z is more excited about this product for sure, because they are the ones who feel that the earth is not going to be the earth in the next couple of years. And Honestly, we have screwed up the earth for them and we, we haven't left much for them and they are trying to kind of, you know, gain back and protect as much as possible. So we intend to kind of, um, you know, the size of the target market is everything, the $25 billion industry, but it's going to take us a couple of years to reach that for sure. I'm not from the Gen Z generation, but I'll try. <laughs> I'm that adventurous. I love to try new things. So yeah. why not? So Faye, uh, so what are the three biggest challenges you have faced so far? If I start talking about challenges, I think I have to give a different topic, <laughs> give different <laughs> talk. But I think the first challenge we faced when we started this was why are two well-established, well-paid scientists quitting their jobs to start a company with a crazy idea? Mm. Uh, it's very Asian, uh, not our parents, not our husbands, but I think it was more of the general population or, you know, our advisors, 
and so on. We even had Asian investors tell us, this is such a crazy idea. You'll never raise money. You'll never succeed. Um, so, you know, it was the Silicon Valley that believed in us to start off with. And then slowly the Asian in investors started recognizing us. And we have had, like I mentioned, we are blessed to have some of the best investors around the world. But I think that was the biggest challenge as to why two Asian women want to quit their jobs and start a crazy company. The next challenge was, uh, we are not a spin-off. So our technology is owned by us. So it's not, it was not part of A-Star or we didn't do any of these research in our previous jobs. It was completely new. So in Asia or even in Singapore, most of the biotech startups or the food tech startups are spin-offs from the university. So, you know, some of the research is done in the university, the patent is filed by the university, and then you decide to form a company to make it commercial. So then you have access to, you know, capital funding, access to labs as well, because you are part of the university. But in our case, since we started from scratch, we didn't have a lab to start off with. Like to do our first experiment of isolating stem cells, nobody was willing to give us a lab space in Singapore. It was just you know, it was so surprising, but at the same time, so discouraging for us. Um, we even had money. We had raised money by then. We had a couple of thousand dollars that we were willing to pay as rental. We were not asking anything for free, but nobody was willing to give us a lab. We contacted the universities, research institutes, and they were like, oh, you're not a spin-off. You're not part of us. Why should we help you? Literally, it was those questions. So our first lab, thankfully, was NUS's Marine Institute that I used one of my previous contacts to get in touch with. It was on St. John's Island. So we used to take a boat to do our experiments. And literally that's how we started. And once we showed proof of concept that we were able to isolate stem cells, then you know we, we were able to kind of get more access and so on. So here people want to see to believe before they even help you. So that's kind of the biggest challenge. I think the third biggest challenge was hiring for us or is hiring. Uh, again, it's Asian mentality that, uh, you know, you want to have a well-paid job, you want to have a steady paycheck, you want to work in a big MNC or a big industry. Working in a startup is always looked down upon, even for a company that's extremely well-funded by us, like us, and we have a runway of another three years, and we're offering salaries or even higher salaries than what they're earning. A lot of the Asians didn't want to join us. A lot of the locals didn't want to join us. So we had to like convince, and as a startup, we couldn't hire foreigners to start off with. We had to get to that local quota before we could, you know, apply for uh, mm -hmm. visas for foreigners. So that has been an issue. But I think now slowly the mentality is changing a little bit. Yeah. So you've heard Dr. Sandhya. Those of you who are keen in this industry, please, she can be contacted um, on LinkedIn as well. So um, next question, will it be possible to grow cell-based meat without such unhealthy side effects as cholesterol? Yeah, so we actually don't grow the cholesterol in shrimp. So um, for those who don't know, there's shell, there's a thin layer of cholesterol, and then there's the shrimp meat. So when you de-shell shrimp, that cholesterol actually goes away. Uh, so since we don't grow the shell and we only grow the meat inside, it's actually completely protein, so there's no cholesterol. Um, so yes, we are able to do that. Interesting. In Asia, we've been eating vegetarian food. Mok cha siu, prawns, mutton is delicious. Why not take these and adapt them to Western recipes and go global from there? What do you think? Sure. I mean, that's the, I mean, like even, even the first, um, you know, the prototype that we made was mixed with Western-based mock meat. 
So that's kind of what it is. And yes, we intend to make Asia famous in the West as well. Fantastic. We are still in good time. So we'll just continue with these questions. Yeah. So Tan asks, how much additional funds do you think you require to reach commercially? I think, uh, Dr. Sandhya, this will be yes, uh, can reach out confidential. To me. Yeah? yeah. All right. Okay. Um, what does what does Shukmeets think is the potential competitive landscape for cell-based uh, shrimp or seafood? And is there the risk of cell, current cell-based poultry, pork, beef companies entering into the space? I think the risk is always there. But at the end of the day, none of these companies have commercialized yet. Even the first company that started six years back working on cell-based poultry and beef hasn't commercialized yet because they haven't reached the price scale that they can launch. So all of us are looking at launching in the next couple of years. But honestly, for all these companies to start making shrimp and seafood all of a sudden is going to be very hard because it's like restarting the technology. Also, they have raised millions of dollars based off on their technology for poultry, pork and beef. So their investors are just not going to allow them to switch over to shrimp overnight. And a lot of the investors are very common among all of these firms. So it's not easy to kind of just step over and restart. Like I mentioned, the technology is not that easy and it's going to take them more years to kind of commercialize rather than, rather than what they would do is use their existing technology to commercialize their first product, which is more pork, uh, poultry and pork and beef. Okay. Um, I believe that growing stem cells require a septic environment. If the culture technology is to be made available at home, how is this septic environment being achieved? Yeah, for those who don't know, aseptic means sterile, basically, because, you don't, because we don't use antibiotics. You want it to be as clean as possible. Um, yes, it's possible to make at home where we basically ship over a vial of the stem cells to you. And there will be a mechanism where you... So there will be a... So I think where this question comes from is the whole idea of making this technology available to people at home in the future. But this is going to probably happen in about 10, 15 years, not now. But the idea is how you make beer, wine, bread at home. You can actually make meats at home as well using this technology. So we would, you know, you could buy a small bioreactor that you can keep in your kitchen. And the idea would be that the stem cells would be in a small tube comes frozen. And then we hand over like a kit. So we thinking like the whole thinking behind this is we sell this as a kit, you know, like a starter kit for everybody. So we give a bottle of the solution, which is the nutritional solution, a tube of the stem cells and also this mission or the equipment, which is the bioreactor. And uh, the tube can actually be inserted into the bioreactor to go into the aseptic environment. So this is our thought process. Things will change over time. And like I mentioned, it's going to take us another 10, 15 years to get to this. Right, thank you. So um, next question asks, in terms of chemical makeup, such cell-based meats, how similar is it to the actual shrimp? And also, is there potential in addressing allergies to crustaceans? Yeah, so like I mentioned, it is the same. So I did mention that chemically, physically, biologically is the same. With regards to allergies, so uh, I think this question has been asked a lot to us. So for example, among the population that is allergic to crustaceans, 20% of them are allergic to the shell. 80% of them are allergic to the meat itself. So the 80% of the population cannot eat our shrimp as well because they are allergic to the meat. And since our meat is exactly the same as conventional, they, they would still be allergic to the meat. But the 20% of the population that's allergic to the shell or other components of shrimp might be able to eat our meats, but further testing is required for us to confirm that. 
So as of now, we have not done that. So I'm not telling that those people can eat it for now. Yeah. Okay. So um, how do you bring down the costs of the culture media? Are you planning to develop it in-house eventually? I think you might have addressed this earlier as well. Yeah, so culture media uh, is scientific terms for this liquid that we grow the cells in, like I mentioned, this nutritional soup, nutritional liquid. So that's actually called culture media in scientific language. Um, yes, we are developing it in-house. We are developing in collaboration with a couple of pharmaceutical industries as well to actually bring down the cost. So next one, I think it's also confidential. I'll share um, with you separately on this. Um, next question, has Short Meats managed to secure partners such as Tyson Foods in order to target retail market that will enable its reach into the B2C market? Tyson Foods is actually one of our investors. So yes, we are working with them. Um, okay, so Faye asked, this is not in relation to short meat, but to the industry as a whole. The mock meat market has always been in existence in Asia and it's proven to be delicious. Why has mock meat not taken off in Western countries? I, have, I don't have the answer to that, but I've known that in Western countries, they are very bent upon taste. And honestly, in Asia, most of our dishes have a lot of flavoring from the seasoning like, you know, the chili powder we add or the paste we add and so on. So the mock meat is actually able to absorb that flavor and then it becomes a hit. But in the West, they don't eat as much gravies, as you know. It's very, like, bland food. So then the aftertaste of mock meat is actually there. So if you eat soy-based or pea-based protein, there is an aftertaste to it, which your meat doesn't have, for example. So I would presume that that is the reason. And that's why, you know plant-based or mock meat has to be actually flavorful, actually have the flavor of meat for it to be a success in the West. One last question. What are your go-to market challenges in reaching out to B2B and B2C? Um, at this point, B2B, I think uh, the challenges are a little lesser than uh, the upsides of it. So we are working with premium and high-end restaurants and food suppliers, like I'd mentioned. Uh, they're very excited about the product. B2C at this point, the challenge is we can't go B2C because of the quantity that we'll be producing. We won't be at the scale that B2C requires. And also the regulatory framework doesn't allow for it at this point. So that's kind of the challenge. But I think we'll overcome it in the next couple of years. Yeah. Great. Okay. Before we wrap up, probably do you want to share tips with uh, entrepreneurs who uh, want to get into this industry or to get into their own business in the future? Sure. Um, if you're looking to start a cell-based meat or seafood company, don't. <laughs> Why I'm saying that is don't start another cell-based meat and seafood company because there are 40 over of us around the world. But start a company that can support us, that can help us bring down the price. For example, start a company that can make great stem cells. Start a company that can make the culture media cheaper for us. Start a company that can make cheaper bioreactors and equipment for us. So become more of an ancillary company that can grow this industry to that multi-trillion dollar kind of industry rather than starting another cell-based meat company. Because if you're going to start another cell-based meat company, you're going to face all the problems that we are facing currently and where we are, you know, working a lot and spending a lot of money to find solutions. Um, so that is my kind of suggestion, I would say. The next is if you're looking to start a company and if you want to go down the entrepreneurial path, please go ahead but give yourself, I mean, you have to try it. If you don't try it, you'll never know whether you're good at it, whether you like it, and whether you can do it. 
So you, it can be in your head, it might sound great, but when you actually put it to action, it might not be so great. But at the same time, if you're very doubtful and you have an idea, but you don't know, I think I would say, you know, try it, but give yourself a timeline and set yourself like, let's say I'm going to try this for six months. If it doesn't work out, I'll go back to my job. So be open to that idea. Like I said, when I started Shiok, I, you know, Kai and I gave ourselves one year. We said, uh, we started this in August, 2018. And we said by August, 2019, if you're not able to raise enough funds, if you're not able to get the technology to a position where we want it to be, then we'll just go back to our jobs. I mean, we still have our degrees. We still have our experience with us. You can go back to your job. Um, so yeah, just try it and see and set a t timeline for you to like succeed or not succeed. Always have a backup plan. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Dr. Sandhya, for the great sharing. I'm sure the participants have learned new things, new information they can take back personally and also um, to their work. Um, so there is a survey after this um, webinar. Please feel free to share them so that we can improve in our next uh, sessions as well. So our next, next week, we are going to have a panel session still on the theme of uh, food. Um, can the FMB industry emerge stronger after COVID-19 at 5.30 p.m. So join us. And thank you again, Dr. Sandhya. Thank you, participants. You have a good day. Stay, sal stay safe and keep well. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah,